God, I want to thank you for church, each one, the gathering of the saints. No matter where we gather, there is church. God, I want to thank you for this new building you've given us and the favor we have seemed to find in the eyes of our landlord who's doing beyond what we could have asked him to do. And we know that your hand is in it. We thank you. And so God, as we look into your word this morning, the word that you caused to be written, I pray that you're going to, you're going to get into each one of our lives, each one of our hearts, and you're going to continue the work that you've begun. I want to thank you for that work. And God, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock, my redeemer. Amen. All right, so last week we took a look at chapter 15. We started chapter 15 of John's gospel. And it, you guys must have came in late, huh? You're in the front seat. Chapter 15 of John's gospel. And Jesus says these words. He, he goes, I am the true vine. And usually these words have been attributed to being spoken in the upper room where the Passover meal took place. In fact, chapters like 13 through 17 traditionally have been put in the upper room. And we took a different look at it. Now, we don't know 100% or 400% that, that it actually took place there. Or we don't know that it didn't. But we took a look at that verse and the verses that follow, right through verse 8. And we said, well, in the cultural contexts, maybe, maybe it took place in a different place. Maybe Jesus actually left the upper room and traveled to the temple where he spoke those words as he looked at the true vine that hung over the porch in the temple. One last time he would go to his father's house and he would, he would teach his disciples kind of, this is, he's, this is coming down to the wire. This is last minute stuff. He wants to make sure they understand the things that he has taught them. And so he speaks to them. And I could imagine, I mean, if, if this is the case, I could imagine him just, just standing there. Remember, this is, this is his father's house. And he stands there in awe of what he sees, the beauty of the temple. And I, and I could imagine that there's some sadness in his heart too, because he must be seeing all of these people walking around, missing the points the very thing they've waited so long for to, to happen is happening right before their eyes and they're missing it. The Messiah is standing among them and they don't see him. And so he, he must be filled with awe, but yet still filled with some sadness. And, he, and he's going to teach his disciples. Well, I, I think it seems to me it's more Jesus sharing his heart with his friends. Both, both in sadness and, and in joy. And so as we continue on through chapter 15 and, and 16 and 17, you're going to see that Jesus repeats himself a lot in these chapters. In fact, he will use things that he said a long time ago, and he will say them again, but in different ways. And, you know, I just don't think we should gloss over them because we've already looked at them. We already, we already went through those teachings. We've already been there. Because if Jesus takes the time to say it again, 
It must be important. It must be something. There must be some weight behind his words. And so this morning, I just, I thought maybe we'd read a little and we'll chat a little and kind of just the way we do it anyway. But I just didn't want to skip over, especially these texts in, in verses, verses 9, 10, and right through till 12, because I, I believe the message here that Jesus speaks of cannot be preached enough. I believe the message that Jesus is talking about needs to seep down into our hearts and become reality for each one of us. So let's get going. Jesus said in verse nine of chapter 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus is loved by his dad. And Jesus loves his father. There's this very close and intimate relationship between the two of them. And that relationship is rooted, it finds its foundations in the love that they have for each other. A very deep and mutual love. Now the word here for love in the Greek is the word agape. It means to, to welcome, to be fond of, or to be well pleased with. God loves Jesus so much. He is so pleased with his son that he has given everything into his hands. Trusted him to handle, to handle it all. Everything that the father has given Jesus to do, the father trusts that Jesus will accomplish it. And he does. And as Jesus is going to enter into a very, very intense time of suffering. I mean, physical, emotional, spiritual. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be nailed to a cross where he will drown in his own fluids as his lungs fill up. And this is God's plan for him. This is the will of his father. And as Jesus enters into this time of suffering, he will find comfort in knowing that his father loves him, that his father is well pleased with him. Can, can you think about that for a minute? Can you imagine the trust that Jesus must have for that love, in that love that God has for him? He is being sentenced for crimes that he did not commit. Jesus is being nailed to the cross and he will take the wrath of God upon his shoulders for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. And just a little reminder, Jesus has never sinned. And he is taking it all upon himself in this time. And even through it all, he trusts. The Father loves him. He trusts. But the father is well pleased with him. And the love that God has for Jesus is the love that he has for his disciples. And I would say it's the love that Jesus has for us, his church. Those people that would become his followers, surrender all to him. Those people that would be called Christian. Jesus has the same love that the father has for him. We are called to be in that intimate relationship with Christ, to walk in his love. 
And here's, here's the sad part about it. There are people, I bet you there's people in this room. There are people that live their lives, that go through life, an entire Christian experience, and not understand the depth of the love that God has for you. There are people that walk and call themselves Christian, try to do the right things, and do not understand that God is well pleased with you because of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's, man, that's, that's sad. That's, that's not living in the victory that God has for us because of Christ. All too often, we feel that when bad things happen to us, that when it hits the fan, that when it just goes south, that, that God must be angry with us. That, that God, God must be punishing us somehow. That Jesus did not put in a good word, and now God is angry with me, and now all of these things, these bad things are happening. Here's the thing. Sometimes when bad or hard things, tough things happen in our lives, it's for a reason. And sometimes that reason is the consequence of our behavior. It's the consequence of our decision. We are human beings. Yes, okay, just want to make sure. We are all human beings in this room, which means we are all broken. We all have our junk, and we make choices every day. Now, God has laid out for us a path to follow. He has laid out for us harmonies that we could take, uh, we could take part in. He's shown us the way, and every day we make decisions. We make decisions either to walk in that harmony or not to walk in that harmony. And there are consequences to each one of those decisions we make every day. And the wrong decision, the decision to step out of the harmonies of God, to walk off the path, will many times bring us consequences that are hard and that are difficult and that are painful. But it's not God punishing you. And I'm talking to the followers of Christ here. It is not God punishing you. It's consequence to your choices. Let me give you an example. If I went out tonight and just got stupid drunk, staggered out of the bar, into my car, drove down the road, and got arrested for DUI, God is not punishing me. It is the consequence to a very stupid decision. It is not the punishment of God. Yes, God disciplines those he loves. And I believe that discipline is he allows those hard, difficult consequences to take place in our life. Not because he's standing there going, nah, 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 nah. no, that's, that's not God's plan. His, his desire is that we would learn, that we would learn that's not the way to go. That's not the direction you should be traveling, traveling in. Follow me, follow my son. And he wants us to learn. And he wants us to more and more and more that our lives would look like the life of Jesus. It's kind of that gentle nudge or that swift kick that we all sometimes need. But, but what, about, what about those times in our lives where we experience really difficult and hard things and we didn't do anything? We, we really didn't do 
I mean, they're, they're, it's not a consequence of our action. We didn't choose them. They just, they just happen. And it could be everyday stuff. It could be just a day. You know, you ever have one of those days? It's like everything seems to go wrong in that day. I mean, this year, Sandy and I, we had a tree fall on our house, okay? That's a bad evening in a blizzard. I love blizzards, but not when a tree lands on my house, an 85-foot pine tree. Not cool, God. Or, or maybe it could be something more serious. Say um, you lose your job, financial hardship, a serious accident, terminal illness. I mean, we can go on and on of all the things that we suffer. Life Life can be hard, and it's very easy, even for the Christ follower, it's very easy to come to a place to think that God doesn't care about you, that God somehow has abandoned you, or God is angry with you, and he's punishing you for something either you did in the past that's finally caught up with you, or because something you're doing now. Maybe, maybe you've asked yourself in those instances, I'm done deserve this what what have i done how how bad have i been god that you would punish me in this way and let me be very clear with you and this is very important for you to understand for those who are in christ jesus for those who are in christ jesus god can no more punish you than he can punish jesus himself We have been saved from the wrath of God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not any work that you've done. We have been saved from the wrath of God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the reality is the only punishment that God can hand out is death. There's no no misdemeanor or felony sins in God's eyes. There's no venial and mortal sin in God's eyes. All sin is a mortal sin. For the wages of sin is death. And we are no longer under the wrath of God because of the work of Christ. Now, I don't mean to keep harping on this. Okay, I mean to keep harping on this. The world is a broken place. And sometimes, and sometimes at no fault of your own, bad things happen. Sometimes it is your fault. But sometimes at no fault of your own, bad things happen and you don't, you don't deserve it. But that's where faith and trust come in. During those difficult times, do you trust that God loves you, that God is well pleased with you, that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life on the cross for you and for me, that we would know eternal life. Because of Christ, there is, there is no condemnation. There is no punishment. It's the consequence of living in a broken world. And even when the worst hits, tragedy hits, bad times come into our lives, that we have to trust that somehow, in some way, down the road, God can redeem that and reconcile that and use it for some good that we may never see or we can't see at the time. Remember a few months ago, we talked about God's revealed goodness and God's concealed goodness. Do you trust that God loves you? 
is well pleased with you, even when you make those bonehead moves. And here's the danger. If you really believe that God is angry with you, punishing you, looking down his nose at you going, so disappointed in you, you could have done better. Even if you think that. The danger is we begin to get that in our heads and then we start to wander away. We start to walk away. We start to to leave God's presence because who wants to hang around with somebody who's mad at you? Who wants to hang around with somebody who's who's just looking at, that's got it out for you, that wants to punish you? And in that, we become spiritually weak and our hearts become hard. When we need him the most is when we tend to walk away from him the quickest because we think he's angry. You can't be angry because you are in Christ. Here's a very hard truth that I am learning throughout my life. During those times when when things fall apart and things are very, very difficult, it's during those, those hardships that we have to turn to the one who could have stopped it. We have to turn to the one that could have made it all better, that could have not let it happen. But yet he still calls us. And that's, that's hard to get my mind around sometimes. That's, that is the truth. And Jesus is saying, remain in my love. Don't get yourself out of it. Don't make that mistake. And he's not speaking from some academic standpoint. He's, Jesus hasn't read a book of theology and says, hey, you got to remain in my love because that's probably the best place to be. No, he is speaking from experience. He is speaking from an intimate relationship with the Father. He trusts the love of God even though he's about to go to the cross and things are going to get very difficult for him. And so he calls us, the ones who would follow him, remain in my love. Trust, trust that I love you and that I'm well pleased with you. I know it doesn't feel that way or look that way and things are falling apart, but trust, trust, Jesus loves you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Once again, we see Jesus talking about obedience to his commands. He says, and, it's, and it's, it's by being obedient to the things that Christ has called us to, this is how we remain in, in his love. Just as he was obedient to the Father and remains in his love, so we are called to do the same thing. We are called to be in a continuing continuing relationship with him. And this is not some mystical thing that happens. This is something very simple. It's called obedience. Is our life looking like the life of Jesus? Are we following him and doing the things that he has asked us to do? Now I have to add the the little caveat thingy here. Because I don't want you to think that if you don't have it all together, if your life isn't perfect, well then, 
you know what, you just must be out in left field and you are obviously not following Jesus because this is about a condition of our hearts. What is the desire of your heart? Is it to please God or to please yourself? Is the desire of your heart to be obedient to the things that Jesus has called you to or, you know what, I just need to do what I got to do to get through this life? Do you see the difference? A couple weeks ago, I had asked Ethan to fold some laundry. Big old pile of laundry sitting in the couch. I said, dude, you got to fold some laundry. He's like, I don't know how. And at first I thought, well, wow, that's pretty sad. He's nine years old. He doesn't have fold laundry. That's my bad. Um, kids really got it easy in this day and age. I mean, I was folding. I, I was doing chores like in utero, man. I mean, that's when I started. But, but anyway, so, so I sit him down on the couch, right? And we go through, okay, this is how you do the jeans. You know, you, fold, you tuck the pockets in, you fold them, you try to, under the chin, you try to smooth them out a little bit, you know, and you fold them over. And then we work down the shirts. I, I showed them the third fold, you know, where you take it and you, and you fold the shirt in thirds and then you fold it over. And then I showed them the easier one. We just kind of fold it in half and match the sleeves and you kind of lay it on the ground. And so he sat in front of the teeth. Now he complained, don't get me wrong. He said, this is too hard. I'm like, dude, it's laundry. Really? Too hard? And so, but, but you know, we got, we got through his phobia with touching the underwear. But, but you know, that was pretty easy. And so, and so he starts to fold the clothes. And I see him, I'm in the kitchen and he's sitting in front of the TV and he's taking, and he's getting frustrated with some of them. And, you know, I saw a shirt go that way and then he went home and got it. And, and he worked a really long time to get this, this load of, or this load of laundry folded. And when it was all said and done, there's this pile of laundry that's kind of crooked and off the side. And there's miscellaneous stuff hanging out in the, in the clothes as he folded them. Well, let's just say it left a little bit to be desired, but you know what? I didn't get mad at him. I didn't, I didn't yell at him. In fact, I, was, I, was, I praised him. I was proud of him. I said, dude, you did a really good job, man. You stuck to it and you finished. Good job. Now, a lot of the clothes had to be folded again, but it really didn't matter because he stuck to it and gave it his all. And so it is with us and God. Will you, will you just go through the motions or will you try and give it your best? I mean, you know when you're just going through the motions and you're just trying to get things done. And you know when your heart is engaged. You see, this is, this is a heart issue. And not just an axe or doing things or, or making things happen issue. Where is your heart? And it's from that place of obedience that we will find joy. That the joy of Christ will be in us and it will be made complete. You know, Jesus wasn't happy about the whole cross thing. I mean, nails and swords and torture and beaten. I mean, he couldn't have been happy about it. The whole wrath of God on his shoulders, we see in the garden, man, he's stressed out a little bit. The scriptures tell us that. But Jesus had a joy that came from a life lived that produced kingdom consequences. Remember the video we watched last week about the butts? There is no joy in the butts. In fact, butts make life messy. <laughs> I planned that. That's so junior high, man. I just love that. <laughs> I could have went, I could have got even, no, never mind. So God, Jesus wants us to experience 
joy, the joy of a life that comes from living for God, the joy of a life in a heart that is focused on kingdom things and not just ourselves. And if you are living a joyless life, maybe you have to take a look at how you are following Christ. Maybe you need to take a look at if you are actually following him at all. Now, don't confuse joy with happiness or pleasure. We cannot be happy or pleased with everything all of the time. Why? Because sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things break. Sometimes 85-foot trees fall on your house, and I wasn't on the roof going, praise God, this is awesome. (laughs) I was on the roof in the blizzard, but it was cool because you got to see the lightning. Snow lightning is awesome. Anyway, I digress. So, I mean, you you can't be happy about everything all the time. Joy, joy is a state of being that dwells deep within our hearts. Happiness and pleasure, man, that, that's circumstantial. That ebbs and flows and comes and goes. Jesus wants joy. And it's, a, and it's a joy that comes from a life that is centered on Christ. Is your life centered on Christ? You know, and as I read this, this, these verses over, um, over the week, I kind of got this idea that the joy that Jesus is speaking on speaking about here, it comes, from, it comes from a finished work. It comes from, and, and so it almost seems creative to me that Jesus, he has, he has done what the Father has asked him, and he's created this, this thing. It's kind of like an artist when they finish a picture. They, 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 they step back and there's, there's something inside where our songwriter finishes that song. It's a, it's a joy that comes from, from accomplishing something. And I don't want to get caught up in works and that's the way it all has to go. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus wanting for us the joy that comes from moving and living in the things that God has called us to for the glory of his name and for the good of his kingdom. That's where the joy comes. And when, and when we're, we're, in that, we're in that groove, we're in that calling that Jesus or that God has put on our lives, it creates in us this, this power to continue to create, to continue to create something new, not, not just for us, for his kingdom. And I believe that there's, that's where we find the joy. Jesus Jesus is about to accomplish something huge right now. He is going to do, well, he's going to like save the world. Not a bad gig, huh? Jesus is calling his church into being in these moments. He has given up everything, sacrificed it all, including his life, to create something new for each one of us. And that's where he finds his joy, that he answered God's call and moved in the rhythms that God had set before him. And so his joy is something very different from what the world would, would define it as. To find your joy is to move in your calling that God has put on your life. This is, this is what God would have for us. God-sized stuff. Birthed from a heart that follows Christ. God-sized stuff that is birthed from, from the simple truth 
God loves you. And God is well pleased with you. And even in the brokenness that's, that just kind of just falls all around us, that love will never be shaken. That love can never change. God can't love you anymore because it's perfect right now. Life is not some shallow, tasteless, dull existence. Life, life is about tapping into the joy of Christ, being, being energized to live and to do and to enjoy life in, in its abundance for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Not so you can get a bigger house, more money, better car, good vacations. It's for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Can't stress that enough. The glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Jesus will say this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We see here, once again, Jesus has given a command. Commands are not optional. They are commands. We are to do them, to carry them out. He kind of takes the plural commands in the first ver- uh, in verse nine, and then he kind of he he whittles it down to this command because isn't love the foundation of everything that we do, all that we are, and there are so many facets to the love that Jesus has for us which means that there's many facets that we, the love that we should have for each other. And remember, Jesus is talking about his disciples, people that are following him. You know, when I landed on this verse, usually by Thursday night, Thursday night, sermon is done, printed on the hopper, ready to go for Friday morning. But Thursday night, it gets to be six o'clock. It gets to be seven o'clock. Sandy yells in, are you done yet? I'm like, mm-mm. It gets a little later and I'm like, I got, I got nothing. I mean, there's just so many ways you can go in this whole love thing. And it's just, you know, it's love, love, love through the whole book of John. And I love, and, you know, and I'm like, oh, where do, where do I go with this? I had to walk away from it. I didn't know what to do. Friday morning, I, I get up early, like 6.30. Okay, that's really early for a pastor, all right? So I'm up at 6.30. I plop down in front of my computer and I just open up my email and there's amazon.com because I am the favorite son of amazon.com. Um, <laughs> I kid you not. Like when I buy a book, they're like, whoa, thank you, Dennis. So anyway, um, and they, there's this book on their, their offering by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. Now I have the book. I've read the book. Excellent book. I highly recommend it. And then it clicked. That's what God wants me to talk about. The love of community. I just wish he gave me that between Thursday night because I'm a little behind schedule on Friday morning, but that's okay. Me and God are working that out. And, and so I, I, just, I just think for a moment, it's the love of community, the community of faith. And so what I want to talk about just for the next few minutes, um, I owe to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, uh, Life Together. Now, community is a very interesting animal because as we enter into a community, it's our human tendency to have an idea of what and how that community should act, 
what should take place inside this community, how it should all go. And there's a part of us, each one of us, that works towards that goal. So we have this idea of what community is, and then we just kind of move and work through it and try to make it what we believe it should be. That's not necessarily a bad thing or a wrong thing. It's just we're humans, and that's just kind of the way it all fleshes out for us. But it's by the grace of God that he will shatter our ideas of community. It's by the grace of God that he will not let us stay in our own little dream worlds of what Christian community should actually look like. We as people need to to look at our illusions of what community should be right in the face in all of its ugliness. And then when we come to that point, it's then that God can begin to shape his people into what he wants them to be. Every time we think or we say, man, I wish, I wish it was like this, or I wish we would do this, or I wish we could, I wish we did, were better at that, or I wish we need to do this more, or we need to do this less. Every one of those statements actually hinders community. It does more harm than good. See, every person who loves their idea of the way it should be more than they love the community of faith will do more harm than good to that community of faith. To love each other, brothers and sisters, to love each other in the context of community is to enter into it not demanding anything, but it's to enter into it being thankful and understanding that you are now going to receive as you give. We come into it thanking God that he has brought us to a group of people that are on the same journey we are, that they are people living by his call, that are living in his forgiveness and by his promises. And we need to stop complaining about what we don't have and begin to be thankful for the things that God has already given us. Even when misunderstanding and sin and conflict work their way in, and they will, any good church is going to have some good old-fashioned conflict, sin, and misunderstanding. It, what makes, it makes the church exciting, right? We have to remember that even in that, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiven and called his children. And even when the times get the toughest, we have to remember that each one here and each one that is attending even church right now, we are all under God's loving grace and forgiveness because of what Christ did on the cross. To love each other is to be thankful for our community even in those times when it's less than exciting, even in all its weaknesses and all the difficulty, in the times when faith just seems so small, it's to enter in thankful. To love each other is about stopping complaining about other people. Stop complaining that this is not what I expected. This is not what I want. Because that will hinder the work of God among his people. People who continually complain about others, people who continually complain about 
church or community, they need to take a look at themselves first. Because maybe, just maybe, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, maybe the problem is not with other people. Maybe the problem lies within them. And they need to get something right, something together in their own lives. Because this is, here is something I want you to think about. What may look to you as weak or insignificant or dumb, maybe maybe great and glorious in the eyes of God. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Christian community is not something that we create. It's not something that we have to hone and chisel and make sure that we get it right. Yes, we have to work at our relationships, but the context of community, it's something, the reality of it is something that God has already created and we have been invited to take part in it. And I would hope that we would take part in it with a spirit and a heart of thankfulness. That we are all broken The cross levels the playing fields. We are all, even Stephen, in the eyes of God. No one here is better. Because why? Again, there's no no misdemeanor sin. There's no felony sin. We all sin and deserve death, and that's why Jesus had to come. Every one of us. Even me. Go figure. Not funny. And once we can get our hearts there, that place, that understanding, we will begin to love each other the way Jesus has loved us. We will begin to answer his command. We go back west. I guess not. There it is. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Let's pray. God, we need you to teach us every day how to love each other. God, we need we need you to teach us what a heart looks like that's just sold out and following you. God, we need you to teach us how to remain in your love. God, we need you to remind us that you are well pleased with us and you love us and there's no condemnation. We've been saved by your wrath, saved from your wrath by your son. God, help us to remember those simple truths every day. Drill them into our heart. Drill them into our mind that we may walk in victory for the glory of your name, the good of your kingdom. Amen. I love you guys. See you next week.